Ed Robertson, hoping you're enjoying this encore presentation of TV Confidential. We'll be back with a brand new edition of the program next week. Hi, this is John Biney. You're listening to TV Confidential. Well, let's hear it for him. Come on, come on out here. Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential. Radio talk show about television, though, play part two of our conversation with Lou Antonio in our second hour. Lou Antonio, Emmy-nominated and Directors Guild of America-nominated director of more than 200 hours of network and cable television and an actor who has appeared in more than 60 popular films and TV series, including Cool Hand Luke, Splendor in the Grass, Gunsmoke, I Dream a Genie, and The Fugitive. Lou will share a few stories about working with David Jansen, Wayne Rogers, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., and Elizabeth Taylor. Plus, I'll talk about the role that he played in discovering Renee Zellweger and Henry Thomas. Lou Antonio will join us in our second hour. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. Coming up later on in this hour, we will play part two of our conversation with Grammy-nominated singer, comedian, radio host, and showbiz raconteur, Jeffrey Mark. We hope you'll stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us as they make us this week in TV history. Tony's segment, as always, is brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly-performing live storytelling ensemble. For more information, storysalon.com, facebook.com, forward slash Story Salon. What do you have for us tonight? March 4th, 1968, The Dick Cabot Show first aired. Dick Cavett, which airs on Get TV, if I remember correctly. Yes, it is showing. I believe you're right, Get TV. Uh, over the holiday season, I watched a few on Get TV when I was in Cincinnati. And uh, the two uh, that really was the first interview he did with Robin Williams. So you have to imagine this is Robin Williams right at the height of Mork and Mindy. So this had to be around, oh, 1978. And, and, and I think at yeah. that time, Dick Cavett was doing a show for well, PBS. For PBS, yeah. Uh, Dick Cavett, I think I have a, a good breakdown here. ABC Daytime, March 4th, 1968 to January 24th, 1969. ABC Primetime, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, May 26th to September 19th, 1969. Uh, ABC Late Night December 29th, 1969 to January 1st, 1975. Yeah, that that last show, he I think he was the show they brought on to replace Joey Bishop when they canceled yes. Joey Bishop. In and and there were, remember there was a brief period where you had Merv, Dick Cavett, and Johnny Carson all yes. on late night, all on late all night, competing against each other, all competing against each other, and they were all out of uh, I believe out of New York, correct. I believe that's correct. And there was one night, unbeknownst to anybody else, Jerry Lewis did all three shows without the other two knowing. Huh. That because never they, happened today. Because they were not shooting now. at the same time. Right, because Johnny, uh, Johnny and Merv, they would pre-tape theirs. In yeah, the, in the, and the Dick was evening. live. If you look at the proximity in New York where the three studios would be, in a Rockefeller Center, I guess uh, CBS they would have done it. Uh, to West 57th? Yeah. And uh, ABC? Would, uh, was it, was was it that, in Times Square That would time? be on, uh, I think that was either Times, yeah, like Avenue of the Star, Avenue of the yeah. Americas? Sixth, Sixth Avenue. Yeah. And, you know, uh, some of these shows they would do from a theater yeah. as opposed to a, a TV studio. Yeah. But somehow Jerry Lewis was able to appear on all three shows at the same night, and nobody knew that he was doing all three shows. Ha! The only time I know of something that happened in more recent history was during the writers' strike. Jimmy Kimmel appeared on with Jay Leno, and then Jay Leno appeared on Jimmy Kimmel's show, but that was a drive from Burbank to Hollywood and vice versa. Yes. 
But that they planned to do because yeah. they had no writers and they thought it would be a cool shtick uh, to do. Uh, so that's the only other time I could think of that. So, uh, yeah, PBS, October 10th, 1977 to October 8th, 1982. USA Network primetime, September 30th, 1985 to September 23rd, 1986. ABC Late Night, Tuesday and Wednesday night, September 22nd to December 3rd, 1986. I wonder if that was around the time they gave Jimmy Breslin that the was, show. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I, I think they did like a wheel. He, yeah. uh, uh, Cavett was on twice a week, and Jimmy Breslin was on twice a week, and I forget what they aired on yeah. Fridays. I think Jimmy Breslin resigned in the New York Post. I, Dear ABC, yeah. I, I no longer require your services. Thank you. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, Jimmy Breslin, uh, who gained fame after Bernard Getz. Well, he was always local, but I oh, think he, he got always, national. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he was. Um, oh, CNBC, April 17th, 1989 to January 26th, 1996. And TCM from 2006 to 2007. And within the last 10 years, he played the criminologist in the New York stage revival of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Really? Yes. Oh, my God. You can look them up on YouTube. That's so cool. Yeah. I always felt smarter and cool when I watched Dave Cabot. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Dave Cabot. Yeah. Well, he he was like Merv in the sense that he would have maybe not world leaders, but he would have subject matter that catered to a different demo that Johnny was catering to. Definitely. Johnny kept things light. Johnny, the whole thing with Johnny, as David Letterman once put it, Johnny tucked you in at night. Yeah, which yeah. I think was the mission statement of The Tonight Show. Yeah. Uh, remember, is it still the mission? I think it is with Jimmy. I remember Sigourney Weaver, the daughter of Pat Weaver, uh, during the whole controversy with Jay and Conan and everything was up in the air. She was hosting SNL. Yeah. And in lieu of her monologue, you know, a comedic monologue, she addressed the audience. She said, you know, my father created these shows. And really, I don't know if there's any sort of, sorry, not to digress, there's no monument to Sylvester Pat Weaver. There should be something there, because he created the Today Show, the Tonight Show, and many well, other... Well, there is in Steve Patalia's book from yeah. yesterday, Today, the history of the Today Show. Yeah. But there's, there should... there's nothing in Rockefeller Center which a uh, bust or a plaque or... I think there should be a studio named after him. There should be a, he, His name should be on a building. If it's not, it should be. But she basically read his memo to the executives at NBC and basically this will be a show to close out the so people can end their days and it's going to be lighthearted and non-controversial so he basically had that as the mission statement that this is not going to be something that's going to be too heavy it's supposed to be light it's supposed to be fun entertaining and not controversial so that was the original mission statement of the tonight show whereas Dick Cavett's show I would say was sort of the precursor to what uh can Char- we say Charlie Rose? <laughs> I was, I, yeah. No, I was, I, was, I was almost hesitant, but no. Let's yeah. just, let's just yeah. say so Char- yeah. Charlie Rose. I yeah. mean, the one-on-one interview, in most cases, one guest for the entire 90 minutes. Uh, Charlie Rose did a 60-minute show, but Cabot did a 90-minute show when he, when he first started yeah. in the late night. Dick and, Cabot worked with a live audience. Yeah. And Dick Cabot still had a monologue. And as, and as you say, Donna, I mean, it was it, – it was what's the word I'm looking for? It was um, 
Cavett was an intellectual. And so yes. it was designed to not necessarily help you fall asleep, but to mm-hmm. kind of stimulate your, your, your thought. And you would have... And I'm sure sometimes he just put you to sleep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> depending yeah. on the guest. Yeah. Whereas the Tonight Show, and particularly the Johnny Carson Tonight Show, was to kind of help you unwind. Yeah. Whereas... Let's like make some fun in the monologue of what's happening in the day. Yeah. Which is, I mean, we said this a couple of years ago when we did a segment on Merv Griffin. Merv thrived better in daytime because yes. in daytime you're, you're, you're for the same reason why Oprah thrived in yes. daytime because you know three four five o'clock in the afternoon you're coming home from work or or you're you're more inclined to watch a lengthy sustained conversation with world leaders mm-hmm. or newsmakers. And so forth. Whereas, if you're accustomed to late night shows that are supposed to help you unwind and help you fall asleep, you know, uh, you're you may not be geared to watch a one-on-one conversation with Groucho Marx that you may that you have to stay up to one o'clock to watch because mm. you can't tape it and watch it the next day. Yeah, true. I got a, a box set of uh, the Tick Cabot show uh, talking to comedians. Uh-huh. So you had Groucho, you. Had, and some of these are wonderful time capsules that just people like Groucho, George Carlin, uh, just wonderful, wonderful interviews. One on, and I mentioned that we saw the Robin Williams. I remember when that first aired. I was uh, living in. Uh, I, I was visiting my family in Puerto Rico, and it was on the local PBS station there. Mm-hmm. And Mork and Mindy had not shown there, so everybody heard about this phenomenon called Mork and Mindy and this incredible comedian named Robin Williams, but nobody had seen it there. You know, it would, you know, when it would air, it would air dubbed in Spanish. So this is the first time uh, Dick Cavett's going to be on, and Robin. So my brother and I uh, stay up late to to watch it to see. You know, my brother can see who this guy is, and my brother was in hysterics. Just because, seeing, but also, Dick Cavett could hold his own with Robin Williams, yeah. and not every talk show host. Most Johnny Carson just sur- first of all, Johnny Carson couldn't stop laughing when yeah. Robin would come on. But he basically had to surrender. I give up. You could see, especially his first appearance on the Tonight Show. It's like everybody just gave up. Just keep the cameras on him. This is the best we can do. And it was, you know especially young, cocaine out of his mind, Robin Williams. Just have the cameras follow him yeah. and hope the censors don't have a cow. Yeah. And Dick Cavett was the first that could actually banter with Robin Williams when he was full-blown Robin. Uh, and, uh, you know, doing little bits and shtick and all that, improvising, things like that. And he could just, th- he, could, he could pick up the ball and throw it back mm-hmm. and throw hard. And and especially uh, with this show, you know, you had this kind of living room set that Dick Cavett was based out of where you never thought about the fireplace or the potted fern or anything like that. And Robin is running around playing with anything that is na- nailed down or not nailed down and then running up to the audience and and, and then, you know, making fun of the crew and, and all. And, and Dick is able to follow him. I don't think anybody else was ever able to do that with him. And it's so fun to watch him work with that and then to have like you said you know the intellectual conversation with yeah. Woody Allen or Groucho Marx yeah. um but yeah but Dick Cavett was great with all of that 
Uh, Merv, yeah, they were showing Merv on Get uh, on Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, they, they had they, his they, Martin Luther King interview. Yeah, and they had a couple, but Martin Luther King Day, they did one with uh, Martin Luther King and then yeah. one with Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people look back at Merv, they're thinking, ooh, yeah. or, you know, Merv pretending to be fascinated by what Jaja Gabor had to say, yeah. uh, which is its own talent, or Merv and Arthur Treacher. Yeah. But to see him um, with Martin Luther King, first of all, they're not at the desk. Yeah. They have like two director's chairs in the middle and spotlight on them. And to ask these really intelligent questions. You could tell Merv read, read the newspaper. Yeah. Merv didn't just read Variety. And obviously, if you looked at his bank account, he obviously read the Wall Street Journal yeah. as mm-hmm. well. When you think about Merv was comparable to Donald Trump, if not more, uh, at the time. You know, buying casinos. But, but with substance. With substance, yes. The Thank thinking man's that. Trump. Yes. Yeah. So they're asking these questions. I mean, he probably was a billionaire. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And then, you know, he's making money off of Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. But to have these really intelligent questions and to introduce, I would say, mainstream America, middle America, to who this man is. And then to open questions to the audience. And uh, you, you, you do a pan of the audience, you know, and have all these people throw questions. At, all the questions were respectful. And I think these questions represented questions that Americans had. But then to have uh, Dr. King, you know, politely answer all of these questions with some of them. Yeah, like I said, no, nobody personal attacks like what maybe Donahue would have later or, uh, or you know, Jimmy, uh, um, Jerry Springer or something like that. Or but, uh, Morton Downey. Or Morton Downey, yeah. you know, zip it, zip it. Uh, but they were asking questions about some of his beliefs, some of his philosophies. And, you know, we were still using words like Negro uh, in, to have these these people mostly, I think they were all white, you yeah. know, just and uh, different dialects from different regions of the United States bringing these questions. And there was a civilized, intelligent conversation. I mean, uh, Merv was brilliant with that. Tony and Donna are with us for a special encore edition of This Week in TV History dedicated to the career of Dick Cavett. This segment originally aired in March 2018. We'll be back with brand new edition of TV Confidential next week. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Just before the Cavett show on uh, the late 1960s Cavett show, the one that succeeded Joey Bishop, ABC tried a weeknight national talk show with Les Crane. Now, Les Crane was mostly a local talk show host. He started off at KGO in San Francisco doing radio, then he moved to New York and he did television. And he had a quite a bit of fo- quite a following in the New York area doing late night uh, newsmakers. But they and, and, and ABC gave him a, a Monday through Friday slot for about 13 months in the 1960s. And he had um, a, 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 again, it was it was counter-programming. It was, it was trying to, to present something other than Johnny Carson, and it did not work because Johnny was in his height. And Johnny defeated a lot of challengers in his 30-year yeah. you know, Alan Vick was around to ask. Uh, he would tell you. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but, again, that was an early attempt to do what Cavett did throughout the bulk of his career. 
But also what you're mentioning goes back to a prior conversation. We were talking about local talent. Yeah. And, you know, Jerry Springer was a local show. Sally Jesse at Raphael was a local show. I'm concerned now because we don't have the that look. We'll have a local news anchor that might be picked up by a bigger market and yeah. then may go national. Yeah. And we may have... Soledad O'Brien uh, used to be on CNBC or yeah. MSNBC. She was originally a, an anchor at Carol in San Francisco. Yeah. Or Joy Reid, yeah. who's on MSNBC. I like, I like Joy Reid. And mm-hmm. I, I think everybody loves Joy Reid. Yeah. She was uh, she was a local uh, reporter in Orlando yeah. and covered Trayvon Martin and got the national attention there and then moved up. But she still I think she still technically lives in Florida, uh, but she she does the show out of New York and she's been she's she's operated out of the Brokaw Center on on the West Coast as yeah. well. But yeah, I think the news anchors and reporters get the attention. That's basically how Brokaw eventually yeah. you know Brokaw was brought to do local in L.A. But he was covering. Um, I think when he was still, I think he was in Atlanta. And then if something happened overnight, it might've been faster to get Brokaw from Atlanta to cover the story, you know, just logistically. And then when he was in LA, he was covering governor Reagan's campaign, which made him, uh, very well noticed on the national level and nightly news and the today show, I'm today show nightly news, all that. So, but the other towns, the local talk show hosts and some of these other people that could have been staples in these markets, they would rather have, you know, uh, something syndicated yeah. than to have the local base show. And I get it because you could have Phil Jones, who was the biggest sweetheart of, you know, whatever city, Columbus, let's say. And if the choice was between Phil Jones or put on Ellen, guess who wins? It's it's going to be Ellen or Oprah. So I think a lot of these talents uh, don't exist like they used to. The local talents that not only would be there for the supermarket opening and be the grand marshal of the parade, but yeah, they're just not that that talent's not getting fostered anymore. That is a subject we should revisit at another time. Yeah. Childotelevision.blogspot.com, also storysalon.com, facebook.com forward slash storysalon. Donna is now the author of a four novel series called the fall again series which you can learn all about it's available at amazon.com where books are sold online as well as fall again series.com tony and don we'll see you both next time next, next time. time we'll play part two of our conversation with jeffrey mark next on tv confidential this week in tv history now has its own podcast you can enjoy this week in tv history with tony figueroa on megaphone and wherever else you find podcasts Know someone with a drinking or drug problem? Learn how to get sober after we share these stories. I was 35 with two beautiful children when my life and addiction started to spiral out of control. After my divorce, I went into a depression cycle and started drinking more often and using prescription drugs. After my second DWI and arrest, my ex-husband threatened to take our children away from me. I was 17 when I became addicted to heroin and meth. I thought I could quit on my own, but I couldn't. It hit me when I was arrested. Get sober now. Your private insurance may cover costs and we'll get you here. It's simple. Just call Elite Rehab Placement right now. Please don't wait. Your life matters to us. 
That's 800-917-2194. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.